We continue our study in the book of Mark, Mark chapter number 9. Last time we studied, we studied about how uh, the man had a son who was possessed of a demon. The demon would throw the young man in the fire or in the water to try to burn or to drown him. And he brought his son to the Lord Jesus. And Jesus had been upon the Mount of Transfiguration with three of his disciples. And the nine could not cast out the demon. And when Jesus came back down the mountain, he saw the scribes disputing, questioning with his disciples as to why they could not cast out the demon. And the Lord Jesus uh, looked at the man and said, uh, what seems to be the trouble? And the daddy says, he's got an issue going on. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not. And if thou canst do anything, Jesus said, don't put the if on me. If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And the man confessed, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And then we remember how the disciples were apart privately with Jesus and they said, why could we not cast him out? We used to could. In Mark chapter 6, we used to could. And Jesus said, this kind cometh not but by prayer and fasting. In other words, you started relying on your experience. You started relying on your ability. You quit fasting. You quit praying. And there's still power in fasting and in prayer. Say amen right there. When we pick up tonight, Mark chapter number 9, we look at verse number 30. And they departed thence and passed through Galilee, and he would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and saith unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying and were afraid to ask him. And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace, for by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them, and When he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. That's the reading of Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 37, if correctly read. From this passage, there's a lot of good text that we could take and lift out Uh, of these verses. I mean, look at verses 30 through 32. You could certainly preach on the old, old story right there, and you could could preach from now until the rapture on that, those verses right there. And uh, we want to include them and, and try to be true to preaching verse by verse by verse. But it seemed to me that verse 34 in the last week has really stood out amongst me about how the disciples disputed among themselves. They were asking or they were saying, Who should be the greatest? If I were to ask you, who is the greatest? You might say, well, I think it's Peter. Or you may say, I think it's John. He was the first one to be killed for his faith. You may say, I think it's John. He was the last one still alive. I think it's John. He's the the disciple of love. Well, some might say, preacher, and it's obviously Apostle Paul. That's the one. But, But actually, 
They're disputing amongst themselves in regard to selfish ambition. It's a modern day argument, isn't it? We have a, a, a statement that says, who's the greatest? Right now, if I ask you, who's the greatest football team? Somebody'd say Alabama. Somebody'd say Washington. Somebody'd say Texas. Somebody'd say Michigan. Somebody'd say Florida State. They got left out. Somebody'd say Georgia. Somebody'd say Clemson. I don't know who that might be, but there'd be a dispute. Who's the best basketball team? I texted somebody this evening. Who's the greatest basketball player of all time? I got an answer. Two or three people just lined right up. And we could certainly say who's the greatest president we've ever had. Boy, that'd get a good discussion going. We actually have an acronym, G-O-A-T. What does that spell? Goat. It's called who is, so if I asked you who's the goat? Bah, the goat, preacher, what are you talking about? The greatest of all time. Who is the greatest of all time. Muhammad Ali used to have a slogan. He would tell everybody, I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. Oh, he'd float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. Nobody could beat Muhammad Ali. I remember so well watching, just being amazed. Preacher, you, you're a preacher. You should not have been watching boxing. They should have been putting it on TV. If they're dumb enough to do it, I'm dumb enough to watch it. It was, it was certainly fun. And he's always saying, I am the greatest. I am the greatest. And one time he was in an airplane. He was flirting with a girl. And the stewardess came and said, listen, you need to sit down, put on your seatbelt. He said, ma'am, I'm Superman. Superman don't wear no seatbelt. She said, that's right. And Superman don't need no airplane. So you sit down and you put your seatbelt on. So we look at these verses and we're considering tonight who is the greatest. Number one, there is an alarming announcement, verses 30 through 32. The disciples are journeying from the place where this demon was cast out of this young boy. Jesus did that because they couldn't. And Jesus is obviously with his disciples passing through Galilee and he's on his way back to Capernaum. And he oftentimes preached in Galilee. I mean, he did many miracles in Galilee, but Galilee ultimately rejected the Lord, and because they rejected him, he shut down his ministry there, moved his headquarters to Capernaum, and now as he's passing through Galilee, look what it says, he would not that any man should know it. He's not even going to spend time preaching to them as he passes through. What about that? Because they rejected him. Jesus, I believe at this stage of his ministry, a lot of his public preaching is completed, is done. Now he's given individual instruction privately to his disciples. For sure he is in this text. He's trying to prepare them for his departure, for his crucifixion. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men and they shall kill him. And after he is killed, he shall rise the third day. I could preach all day there. We understand that Jesus is going to give his life on the cross of Calvary, that you and I might have salvation. They're going to bury him, and on the first day of the week, he's going to arise again. My Bible says in verse 32, they understood not that saying, and they were afraid to ask him. They just let it go. To them, it is an alarming announcement. Their master, their Lord, 
the Son of Man is going to be crucified. And he says he's going to rise again, but we don't know what that means, they think. It is an alarming announcement. Number two, I want us to think about the appalling attitude as we try to put this announcement with their attitudes. Now, he's con they continue to travel with him. He's teaching them. He's instructing them. They don't get it. They don't understand it. A lot of times I'm the same way. In verse 32, he comes to the house in Capernaum and he looks at him and he says, verse 33, what was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? Now imagine, after Jesus has just announced about his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, the 12 didn't get it and instead they start disputing amongst themselves who should be the greatest. It turned into an argument. I dare say that I probably could argue with somebody about who the greatest basketball player was. We could banter back and forth, banter back and forth all day long about who the greatest football player, basketball player was. But it turned into a dispute. Preacher, what do you think they were really arguing about? I don't know. I, I started thinking. I wonder if the three that were up on the Man of Transfiguration and when it came down, I wonder if they were kind of bragging about what they saw and about what they, what they had a special privilege. I wonder if they were kind of bragging. Uh, maybe not. Maybe the other nine are jealous a little bit that they got to go, the three got to go up there and the nine didn't get that special invitation. I don't know. Maybe the three are saying to the nine, why could you boys not cast the demon out of that man? If we'd been there, we'd done it ourselves. Well, you did come down the mountain with Jesus and I didn't see you volunteering to get involved. They're disputing. Well, I'm the greatest. If I'd have been there, I would have taken care of it. Just however it occurred, the 12 started arguing over power, over control, over authority, over their achievements, or over their status. They're, can you see it? They're jockeying for position Determining the ranks of authority among themselves. If Jesus is going to really be taken away from them, they're concerned which one of us is going to be left in charge. That's the biggest argument that really goes on in most Baptist churches. In fact, there are churches that split, splitting probably right now. And the truth of the matter is they'll say, well, it's cause of this or cause of this or cause of this, but I promise you, if you really get involved and look, it's usually about who's calling the shots. Jesus brought their dispute to their attention. And the Bible says in verse 34, but they held their peace. They were embarrassed. They were ashamed. They were convicted. Jesus has just spoke about a sacrifice on the cross and they're in dispute about who's going to be in charge when he's gone. Oh, the preacher has COVID. What, what are we going to do? Who's going to be in charge? Ambitious desire has no place in the kingdom of God. The desire for personal ambition and recognition is a very slippery slope. It's very, very dangerous. And if it's present in your congregation, it's very damaging. I'm just going to be honest with you tonight. It's an hour's. 
It starts with me. I got it. And the truth of the matter is, it's more ingrained in your heart, pride, than you realize. It goes on in your family every day. And and amongst Christian circles, think about it. Which congregation is the largest? Which congregation is the fastest growing? Which congregation has the most monies given? Who's the most influential? Walk by the bookstore at any Christian bookstore and just see best, largest, newest. You're going to see all those labels and those trying to get you to buy their book. That's what it's all about. We assume that greatness is based on the four B's, buildings, budgets, buses, and baptisms. We consider who's the greatest by crowd size or by donations. But if you use that worldly standard of measurement, who's the greatest, then the ministry of Jesus is a colossal failure. He's just got 12 disciples really following him. And there's great crowds that came to hear him preach and see his miracles. But I want to turn to a a, a verse in John chapter 6. This is an interesting verse. Verse 66. Ooh, preacher, you just said John 6, 6, 6? Yes, I did. John 6, 66. What do you think that's going to say? My Bible says in John 6, 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him because of what he was preaching, because of what he was saying, and the truth he was declaring. When they didn't want it, when it came hard and difficult for them, they turned their back and he walked away. So now the ministry of Christ that was the largest and the greatest and everybody would turn to him, now they're turning their backs on him and they're walking away. And Jesus said to the 12, will you also go away? Simon Peter made this statement. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Well, let's just keep examining from that point what happened. So as the crowd start walking away, Jesus soon gets arrested. And as they arrest him, his 12 corporate leaders, Peter, James, and John, and the nine others, all forsook him and fled. In fact, if you say Peter was the head honcho, he cussed and denied he ever knowed the Lord. So if we judge who's the greatest by the congregation size, Jesus didn't have nobody left with him. Up on the cross, he even said, why hast thou forsaken me? So I want to see, we're going back to our text in Mark. We've seen the alarming announcement and we've seen their appalling attitudes. They're they're consumed with self. The only thing they think about, the only thing on their mind, it's not about prayer requests, not about needs, amongst their community in Galilee or Capernaum, they're arguing about who's going to call the shots when Jesus dies on the cross. And that just starts working me. Thirdly, I want us to see the amazing answer. In verse number 34, they held their peace. When Jesus asked them a question, they didn't say a word. You see, the disciples in their ambition They have not grasped their calling. And I wonder sometimes if we have. Ambition 
will cause you to disregard the cross. I want to show it to you. Jesus taught them in Mark chapter 8. Let's just go back one chapter. In verse number 31, he began to teach them, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders, and the chief priests and the scribes would be killed, and after three days, rise again. He taught them about the importance of the cross. In fact, in verse 34, he said, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And now we come to chapter 9. We just read it, verses 30 through 32. He once again reminds them of the cross. And do you see what, they, what ambition did? They lost their focus. They lost the fact that Jesus is going to give his life for their sins, be buried and be raised again. And all they want to do is argue about ambition. In fact, if you have your Bible, will you turn with me to the book of Luke? Too much turning, preacher, Darren. No, you don't realize, but we can never turn to enough. Luke 22, Luke 22, turn there. We'll look at verse 24. I was asked to go preach a revival meeting one time, and I think the Edwards family ended up being part of that meeting. I don't know that y'all were able to come every night, but I know that y'all sang, and, and, I, and there were some nights y'all just came anyway. And we were up at, uh, what is it, up the Wolf, what is that, Wolf, what is that, that ski lodge up there? Wolf Laurel. We was up at Wolf, Wolf Laurel. And there we were up there in that place. And I'm telling you, what a, what a blessing it was there. But there was all kinds of struggles going on within me at the time. I can remember, what are we going to do, Lord? We're in such, and God came down in that meeting and met with us in such a, a vital way. It made such an impact in the middle of, of all the things, all the distractions that were going on. And I got to thinking here, look with me in Luke 22. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. Verse 19 through 22, Jesus is having the last supper. Do you see it? Look at your Bible, Luke 22, verses 19, 20. That's the last supper. Do you agree with me? The next day, Jesus is going to be crucified at the last supper. Here's the bread, here's the cup. So just go down with me in verse 24. There was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. There it is again. And it was a constant struggle and problem. And this tells me just how deeply ingrained pride Ambition is in the human heart. Even when you're at the last supper with Jesus, there it is. And I'm just telling you, it is amazing to me how that we can sit in a good service and the only thing we're getting out of the service is what I'm, what's, what's in it for me. What's in it for me. Now, I want to go back to, I want to go back to our text. They're arguing, they're disputing. Jesus is trying to change their mindset. He's trying to teach them about humility. And so I want to talk a little bit about pride and humility. Pride is fed by competition. Get yourself on the basketball court and you start getting beat. Your pride, the competition, starts pulling the pride out of you. I've had my pride beat out of me more than, one, more than one time. But it always comes back. 
Amen? Pride. Pride is fueled. Pride, pride is fueled by competition. But humility, what fuels humility? Cooperation. Let's talk about it. Verse 35 in our text. He sat down and he called the twelve. And he saith unto them, if any man desire to be first. You want to be first? You want to be the greatest? If you want to be the greatest, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. If you want to be first in the kingdom work, you must be willing to be last. If you want to be first, you must be willing to serve everyone else. The way to be used of God is to be of service to the Lord and of service to others. This, this has always been my mindset. It may not be yours, but this will help you. My mindset is this. For, for pre, when I started preaching, my goal has always been, when I started preaching, I didn't know how much preaching I'd do, but I wanted to help my preacher. If I could help him, if I could pour water on his hands and help him and be a blessing to him. And from that very point, that was my daddy. And, and the very first night I surrendered to preach, I got up and I preached that moment and a young man surrendered to preach. And, and God said, the devil, the devil says, Why? he took your night. No, he didn't. He just jumped in the same row with me and we both got to work. And ever since then, I've wanted to help other preachers. I want to be a help to them, an encouragement to them. I want to offer them an opportunity to preach. I, I, I was thinking North Hazelwood came over to the school just on Tuesday. Got a new pastor, uh, Brother, brother uh, Jackson uh, Abel. And, and, and Brother Jackson's preached here. He said, preacher, I was 15 or 16 years old and you opened your pulpit to me and let me preach in your pulpit. And, and now I'm pastor over here at North Hazelwood and we're, we're joined at the hip with the school and, and we just want to be a blessing to you. You see, be an encouragement. Always help men of God be a help to them. You want, to, you want to be used of God? Be a helper. Joshua. Why was Joshua used of God so greatly? Because he was a help to Moses, the man of God. So, so learn to be that way, okay? So greatness in ministry is secured through your service unto the Lord. And gr greatness is not trying to get ahead of others. Greatness is putting others ahead of you. That's the way it works in the kingdom. You see, pride is oftentimes fed by trying to be associated with the important people. I, you know, I, I want to be around important people. Why? Because it makes you look good. Because that's what pride does. But according to the word of God, humility grows when you're associated with the meek and lowly. When you're trying to encourage those that are homeless, brother, as you, you, you were telling me about before service, I mean, what a blessing that that is. I mean, let's go back to Matthew's gospel. Chapter 18. Matthew 18. Look with me at verse number two. Talking about getting involved with the meek and the lowly. That's where humility grows. Matthew 18, 2. And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. I, I watched today, little Isla came over to the house. She's kind of learning to put together six or seven, maybe eight steps at a time. 
she's not feeling the greatest today. And um, so I gave her some medicine. She started feeling a little better. I was down playing with her. And I said, Isla. She turned. And she tried to walk to me. You know why she walked to me? Because I used gentle words. And I knew her by name. And when the Lord speaks to you, he speaks to you gently. He summons you. I was under conviction, but he softly and tenderly, get tore up. He softly and tenderly wooed me, a wicked sinner, a nobody. He was involved with the lowly. He wasn't after the important. He came looking for me, a nobody. Get tore up. I thought about she was walking to me how the Lord has spoke to me and I, I try to walk. And now the disciples are shocked. Jesus is giving them an illustration here. And to give them an illustration, he sets a child down from. In fact, the Bible said Matthew's gospel. I read Matthew because I like it so good. He called the child. And when the, when the child came to him, he set him down in the middle of him. Verse 3. And he said, Verily. I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. They were shocked. You, you, will you hear me for a second? You are acting with your dispute and your strife and your division amongst your group. I mean, you've got great privilege to be the disciples of the Lord, but you're acting like, so childish, right? And then the Lord says to him, except you become as, except you be converted and become as little children. Now they're acting childish. So there has to be a time in your life that the childish needs to become the childlike. And the little Isla, she didn't care when she woke up that her hair was just all over her head. You know why you comb your hair and wash your face? Because you care what you look like. That's a good thing. Some of you maybe care more than others. But, but, but you can't overcare about that. Amen? And, and little Isla, she just humbled herself. She, she's just depending on somebody to take care of her. And I started thinking about how ambition causes us to make dangerous assumptions. They, they, these guys, here's what Jesus is telling them. These guys are arguing Who's going to be the captain of the team? Jesus said, your concern is not who ought to be the captain. Your concern is to make the team. If you'll, you'll be converted and humble yourself as a little child, I'll put you on the team. Who the captain is doesn't matter at this point. Just make sure you're on the team. Oh my as you determine greatness and you're assessing your abilities and Jesus is saying, well, the best thing you need to determine, the best thing can happen to you rather than fight about who's, over, who's in charge, who's in control, the first thing you need to ask yourself is, are you even on the team? Because there's a lot of people fighting within the churches that's not even on the team. Amen. Preacher, you're going to make me mad. Well, you can apologize after a while. And when conversion comes, there's going to be a change. There. 
So these disciples are fighting over supremacy. They are they're acting childish. All right, let's go back to our text. Now, we're going to look at number four. Number four. I want us to see the assuring affirmation. Jesus says in verse 36, he took a child, set him in the midst of them, and when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, whosoever shall receive one such children, one of such children in my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. So he's given us an assuring affirmation. Now, I've wrote some things down here. I want you to listen. How can I tell, preacher Aaron, if I'm being childlike or childish? If you're childlike, that's what the Lord wants, right? Isla doesn't care if you shake her hand or not. Isla doesn't care if you even speak to her or not. The only thing Isla cares about is that she's protected and safe and that she has food in her belly and somebody cares enough to change her little diaper. That's what she cares about. All the rest, she's not worried about. And we, honest, they looked at me funny. Did you see what they were wearing? I can't believe how they dressed. You, you need to get over yourself. And, and, and your preferences. Can I say that again? Your preferences. Your preferences are not doctrinal. Can I, how many of y'all like hot dogs? Hot dog. You like hot dogs? Put your hand up. I like hot, hot, hot dogs. How many of you, we got a dinner Sunday. We're going to have hot dogs. Let's just say. Right? How many of you, you like ketchup on your hot dog? Uh-oh, some people didn't put their hand up. How many of you like mustard on your hot dog? Mm, not me. I'm mad at y'all. We've got a division in the church. How many of y'all like relish on your hot dog? Ugh, how in the world do y'all eat that stuff? Listen, there's got to be something wrong with y'all, right? That's, what I'm saying is some churches would split over that very thing. Get in a fight, but, and it's all about preference. Make sure that what you're so torn up about is not your preference. If it's about your preference, then in your mind, go to your happy place. Well, I'll just not go. Then don't. Stay home. We'd be better without that. Well, preacher, Darren, the numbers won't be good. It's not about numbers anyway. That's not what it's about. It's about having unity and working together and Glory to God, y'all are going to get mad at me, but some childish characteristics. Selfishness. Stubbornness. Let's talk about selfishness real quick. I looked up the toddler's rules of ownership. There's a book on this. Number one, if I like it, it's mine. Number two, if I saw it first, it's mine. Thirdly, if I can take it from you, it's mine. Fourthly, if I had it a little while ago and now it's in your hands, it's mine. Fifthly, if it's mine, it can never appear to be yours in any way because it's mine, mine, mine. This is my church. It's where I go. I've always been here and we're doing it my, my, my way. Let me tell y'all something. The Lord sent me here 
so you couldn't have it your way. Well, we're not going to do it your way. You're right. I know we're going to do it God's way. That's my job is to make sure we do it God's way. Now, Jesus starts speaking about the fashion of a child. What is the fashion of a child? A child is not concerned with status. They have a simple purity about them. They don't burn with envy. They they don't scheme how to get back at other people. They they don't hold grudges. They they don't criticize other people. They uh, let me tell you something. A child will not turn up its nose to another child unless they think it's got their stuff. Just whether they don't care about race, they don't discriminate. Children don't. A child. Listen, this one. They're teachable. I think the Lord's not only speaking about the fashion of a child, but I think he's speaking about the faith of a child. A child has simple faith. One time, little Shelby, just little, I said, honey, we're going to go to the store. Loaded her in the car, and as I was going to the store, I stopped here, and I stopped there, and she said, Daddy, I thought we were going to the store, and instead you stopped here in the post office and here and here and here. I said, well, I had other things to do too. See, she just trusted what I told her we were going to do. She had simple faith. Hey, a child has simple faith. Jesus said, except you be converted and become as little children. Hey, we've got to have conversion in our heart, okay? So what about forgiveness? You get two children mad at each other, right? And I see it at school. They get mad at each other. Pull them apart, hold them apart, ready to shoot and kill each other. The, The thing is, I can look at them and say, why did you do that? I don't know. Are you sorry you did it? Yeah, I am. I'm really sorry. I'm so sorry. And it's over. By the end of the day, they're over there playing together. They've got all their toys together. Man, they're having a time. But for some reason, as you good Christian people got older in your life, all of a sudden, God forbid they would treat me or speak to me as such. Don't they know who I am? Why did that happen to you? When you were a child, you got along. Pride is ingrained in your heart. And you think you're better than somebody else. That's the way you, that's why you act like that. Preacher Darren, that's not true about me. It was true of all 12 of his disciples. It's true of every one of his youngins. We have a body, a flesh that is not saved. It doesn't even want to act like it's saved. Inside of it is a spirit, a soul that is saved and tries to command the flesh to do the right thing. But oftentimes the flesh tries to overcome and do what it wants to do. I'm just talking about forgiveness. They don't... They have a forgiving spirit about us. Look what he says. Whosoever shall receive one such one of such children, my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me, receiveth not me, but him that sent me. Are you childish or are you childlike? Mm. Here's the question. In 1 Corinthians... I'm almost done, but I feel led. I need to go just a little bit further while I'm here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse number 20. 1 Corinthians 14, 20, a seldom used verse. 
Paul is writing to the church at Corinth who is oftentimes carnal, meaning they were very minded of the flesh. He says, brethren, that means those that are born of the same womb. We've been born by the blood of Jesus Christ. He's writing to brothers and sisters in Christ. Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. That's huge. In understanding be men, but be have a childlike quality about you with other areas of your life. All right, Lord, here we go. Back to our text. Fifthly, I wasn't even going to preach this part, but I've outlined it. The Lord gave me the outline. Here we go. Fifth point. Better put your crash helmet on. I want you to see the admonishing acknowledgement in verse 38. And John answered him. In other words, to this dialect, to the Lord dealing with their dispute, their strife, John, the beloved John, has a statement. Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us, and we forbade him, because he followeth not us. Now, now, now read of John's assumption here. He just says, he just admitted that me and the other 11 disciples saw a man casting out a demon and we rebuked the man for casting out the demons because he was doing it in Jesus' name. And he's not part of our group. So therefore we told him, you're not part of our group. And since you're not part of us being a disciple, we the only ones got the power to cast out demons. Now we done saw about how much power they had. They were given power, but they wouldn't exercise their faith. And now they see somebody else cast out demons in Jesus' name. And they just assume, John just assumed, that since they're not part of the group, that the in crowd, that they're not doing it right and they need to stop it. And so they rebuked it. They some things you need to keep your mouth off of. Don't get involved and tick a lock. John was filled with assumption. Oh, preacher, he's the loving John. He's also a son of thunder who wanted to call down fire on a Samaritan village and burn them all up. I'm telling you, he ended up getting right with God and he wrote, how can you, how can you say that you love God when you don't love your brother? Something happened in John's life. Look at his assumption. You see, such an attitude is kind of uh, pharisaical. John loved the Lord. He, he wanted what was best, but his heart's not right. And that attitude is prevalent in our churches today. We, we just assume that we're serving the Lord going along in the most biblical way possible, but falsely, falsely, we think that others who do things differently than we do, they've missed it. They're wrong. They can't be pleasing to the Lord. We want to criticize them. We want to condemn them because they do things different than we do. Like we're the only ones and we do everything right. That is a false assumption. It's John's assumption. Look at verse 39. Look at Jesus' admonition. Verse 39. 
But Jesus said, forbid him not. For there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. Jesus just admonished John. He said, the one who's doing a work in my name, don't stop him. Jesus just said, if they're serving the Lord, if they're doing it in my name, then they can not lightly speak evil of me. Just because they're in a different group, <laughs> you gotta realize that we're really all working to the same goal. You and I would do well to embrace this truth today. Verse 40, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to quit here. For he that is not against us is on our part. Jesus just said those who are not working against him are working for him. Even though they didn't travel with him, they're not a detriment to the kingdom of God. He, he said although their approach is different, that doesn't mean it's wrong. He's saying, I can work through others just as much as I can work through the 12. And what are the 12's got a devil? And not all 11 of them's exactly perfect. So, preacher, Aaron, what does all this mean when Jesus gives this affirmation? It's amazing how quick, you're probably going to get mad at me. It's amazing how quick we are to judge others who operate and serve the Lord differently than we do. We, we just assume that their differences mean they'll never accomplish anything of value to the Lord, that God's only going to use us. I'm going to warn you right now. If your attitude is, I'm better than them, or God's only going to use us and never going to use them, I'm going to tell you right now, He's not going to use you at all. He'd do better without you even thinking that way whatsoever. And I wasn't really ready to preach this night because the Lord's dealt with my heart about it. I went to hear Franklin Graham in a crusade. And every night, he used a different version of the Bible every night. It was tearing me down because I'm a King James guy. Even on Thursday night when he used King James, I was so happy. He said, I use King James tonight because I believe it's the most accurate, the original, the best. And I thought, well, if that's true, why don't you use it every time? But in my mind, did I say that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, God didn't use him at all? Because I seen the altar full and people called on Jesus and got saved. And he did it different than how I'd liked it done. Listen how quiet it gets in here. Preacher, what are you saying? Uh, will you hear me? I have a certain type of music I prefer. What's well, what we sing here? But am I to say that if you go to a certain such, such and such church that it's doing a little bit differently that God's not blessing it? I'm a Baptist, okay? I, I believe I'll die a Baptist, a saved Baptist. But am I going to stand up here and tell you that only Baptists are going to heaven? 
because some of you, your attitudes towards some of these things I just said, that they're all wrong, that they're not even going to, I'm just telling you, Methodists are going to heaven. I, I, Presbyterians are going to heaven. I can go on and on and on. Just, just be careful. Preacher, Methodists, Baptists, Presbyterian, go on, go on. That's not just preference, that's doctrine. You're right. But if they believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that's all that matters. Some wants to go over the water, some wants to go under the water. I'll meet them halfway. It'll be all right. It'll not be a problem. Now, I know you're going to get upset with me, but I'm just going to tell you, I may disagree with other methods or way people do things, but I can't condemn it not being used of God. If you've been saved tonight, you're on the same team with others who are doing things a little bit differently. You better be careful that you've not become a Pharisee. Ooh, look, ooh, look what they... You better be real quick. You better be real quick. John said, Lord, I forbade them from casting a demon out of... That poor man would have had demons in him until that very day because of John's pharisaical attitude. I'm just telling you, there's some things you and I need to keep your mouth off of. You need to keep your mind away from it. You need to stay, I'll be honest, this, when I got to verses 38 and 40, I fell under conviction. Heavy conviction. I think sometimes we act more like these faithless disciples than we like to admit. We allow our desires and our preferences to, to hinder what the Lord's genuinely wanting to do in our lives. And I'm just telling you, if we're going to serve the Lord the way he wants us to serve him, we've got to do it without a judgmental attitude. We've got to do it without being one filled with con condemnation just because of differences. I'm telling you, who is the greatest? I'll tell you who it is. Louis the Fourteenth. I hope I've got this. Louis the Fourteenth was the longest ruling monarch in modern civil history that we know of. He was king for 72 years. I think I got that right. The Queen of England that just died was queen for 70 years, thereabouts. So King Louis XIV was king longer. So if I said, who's the greatest king or the long, greatest queen or the, the greatest monarch, People are going to say it's Louis XIV because he reigned 72 years. And when he died, they, and he's called, you look it up, he's the great monarch. And they buried him in a golden casket. And they lit this huge candle dedicated to him, the great monarchy of Louis XIV. And the bishop came in to conduct his funeral. And he went and reached up and snuffed out the light. And he said, Jesus is the greatest. 
It's not Louis the Fourteenth. It's not your favorite ball player. It's not the biggest church. It's not this. Let me tell you who the greatest is. It's Jesus. It's not Peter. It's not James. It's not John. It's not Paul. It's Jesus. It's not the Baptists or the Methodists. I'm going to tell you tonight, Jesus was not necessarily a Baptist. He was not necessarily a Methodist. I'll tell you who the greatest is. It is Jesus. He's the greatest, amen. So be very clear tonight. Let, let's go home happy. This, this to me was, man, it tore me down. It tore me apart. It, it's cut, I've been, I've been stabbed and stabbed and stabbed and stabbed and said, this is wrong. You need, you've been wrong here. You been, help me, Lord, help me. Not to be so quick to judge. We do it. Coming to church, we sit down, we think, we look around. Hmm. Look to see what Bible's there, what the songbook is, how the people are dressed or not dressed, right? And we start sizing up everything because we judgmental people. We sit here and think, like, no, I don't do that. I'm going to heaven. I love everybody. You big liar. And if you're mad at me tonight, all I've done is just call it out because the Holy Ghost called it out on me. And I don't, I've already got right with God about it. But the sad part is, is I'll probably do it again because I'm so prone to do it. So natured that way. My flesh is rotten, stinking, oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God that in Jesus Christ, my Lord, he can deliver me and give me victory. Amen. Will you stand at your feet tonight? Father, I thank you, Lord, for the word. Lord, as I started reading this passage, I wish I could have just stuck to verses 30, 31, and 32 and preached the old time story. That would have been great. Oh, that passage had to go on and start dealing with our ambitious, self-righteous flesh. Oh, God. Forgive us, Lord. Help us, God, to stick to what you've given us and help us, God, to stay between the ditches and stay on the straight and narrow path and not deviate away from it because of our preference or because we were looking off the road at what somebody else was doing and got ourselves in trouble and got off the path. Lord, I pray for those around us tonight, God, that are struggling God, I pray tonight you would help them. Lord, I pray for these tonight, God, that have discord and disputing and strife and contention. God, there's nothing that just hurts our hearts worse than when we've been through things like that. Help them, Lord, I pray, that they might have the peace of the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, I'm asking your help tonight and your sweet forgiveness, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Who is the greatest, preacher Darren? His name is Jesus. He's the greatest. He loved me like nobody could ever love me.